passion. Well, thank you, Pastor Dane, for that wonderful introduction. Uh, as he said, my name is CJ. Um, I'm actually from this neck of the woods. I grew up in the high desert and only recently moved down the hill with my parents. Uh, I just graduated from Grand Canyon University, uh, where I was fortunate enough to meet Pastor Dane's daughter, Kayla. Uh, and then, as he mentioned, I'll be headed to Phoenix Seminary uh, for the remainder of my education, uh, pursuing the Master of Divinity. Today, I get the wonderful privilege to kick off the new year here at Impact Christian Church, a church that I've come to a few times uh, and, and been blessed by every time that I've been in attendance here today. Uh, and with the new year, I just want to wish all of you watching a happy new year and thank you for joining us on uh, this first Sunday of the year, starting off your new year with the word of the Lord. And with the new year comes this typical idea of New Year's resolutions. So I took the liberty to look up some funny New Year's resolutions. And so there's not, there's the typical, I want to exercise more, I want to run, I want to diet or, or lose this amount of weight. But here are some of my personal favorites that I found in my time. Uh, be on a first name basis with my DoorDasher. What an interesting idea that is. <laughs> I guess that's their way of saying I'm going to eat out less and still making it there. Uh, stop blaming my farts on the dog. I found that one to be my personal favorite as I just find that comical. I grew up in a family with four boys, and so we always had a tendency to do that when we were younger. And with that, I'm going to be talking today about what I'm titling the Christian Resolution. And we're going to be in Psalm 115 today. I read out of the ESV Bible, and we're going to go through the entire chapter. Starting in verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens, and he does what he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. Here is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. For who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. And I'm going to skip down to verse 18. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth. And forevermore, praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you today, we just thank you for the opportunity uh, to enter your presence, Lord, on, on this holy sanctuary, Lord, and in your presence, Lord, where you are as holy. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and your, your newness, Lord. We know that your blessings are new every morning. Lord, how much more are your blessings new every year Thank you, Lord, for sustaining us through a year of 2022, whether it was a good year or a bad year, Lord. We know that you are faithful. Lord, I pray that this message today would bless those whose ears they fall upon, Lord. I pray that you would be in the midst of this message, and if any words that I speak are not of you, Lord, that they would fall on deaf ears. It's in your wonderful and powerful name we pray. Amen. Now, it might seem strange to think about Psalm 115 on a brand new year. There's a lot of negative attributes here talking about the idols of Israel. If you'll remember back, 
uh, Israel is split into two nations at this point, supposedly. Most historians would agree. And there's the, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. But both kingdoms are worshiping idols. That is anything that is not of God and is not God. Psalm 115 specifically has a lot of interesting aspects to it. It is known as a continuation of the collection of the Egyptian Hallel songs. Hallel meaning praise. And that is that it is, it is sung a worship song in remembrance of the Passover. So remember in Egypt, they were in Egypt and slavery for many years, and the Lord came and freed them from slavery. And these are songs that they would sing during the Passover time. In fact, it is believed to be a song that Jesus and his disciples on the night he was betrayed sang. Matthew 26.30 says this, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Mark 14.26 also accounts for this, but it says that they sang many hymns. So it's believed that this may be one of the songs that's on Jesus' mind as he's heading into the Garden of Gethsemane to prepare for his final moments on earth. It is especially meaningful to consider it when it's on the heart and lips of our Lord and Savior the moments before he atones for our sins and heals us. Today, as I mentioned, it's a new year. There's many New Year's resolutions. My challenge today is not going to be to give you a brand new resolution, to give you something to add to yourself, but rather I'm going to challenge you to find an idol in your life that you can take out, that you can step away from in this new year to spend more time with God. There's going to be five, there's going to be several main points here. The first point is going to be God is sovereign. I'm going to start in verse two of Psalm 115 and read through verse four, and then we'll exposit it. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does as he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. I'm going to set on that for a moment and just think about that. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. This section, what my point is going to be, is that God is sovereign. So coming out of a new year, I know that some of you may not have had a good year. Some of you may have had a hard year. Nonetheless, God is sovereign and he is over it all. And I'm going to demonstrate how these verses show this. With the premise of this is that idolatry, the heart of the problem, is the problem of the heart. It's humanity's tendency to look for something other than God and to fill a need within ourselves without going to him first. And this is going to demonstrate that God is sovereign, as well as the remaining points are going to demonstrate why God is worthy of our praise, how God is worthy of our praise, and what to do for that. We're going to cross-reference to Exodus 23 through 4 to understand the backstory of Psalms. Understand that these are the Psalms, the worship songs of the Israelites. The same people who would know the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And specifically the law found in the Pentateuch. Exodus 23 through 4 says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. That's pretty explicit. We're not to have anything in the place of God. Yet we tendency, we have this tendency to place things in the place of God. And then verse 1 is really where I want to dwell for a moment here today. It says, not of us. The singer of this psalm understood that when God did wonderful things, the glory should be given to God, not to God's people, not unto us. Even if there are a sense of we're in the activity or we're doing the physical activity, it's still of God and he deserves the glory. That's the premise of where we're going to go today of idolatry and attacking the heart of idolatry. This, this posture, as I'm going to call it, is a posture of humility. And it was once said to me 
that pride is driven out when humility is best lived. And think back to what I said in the beginning, that Christ, on the day of his his atonement, on the day of his death, his crucifixion, was probably thinking of this verse. And he said, not of me, Lord, but for you be the glory. Not of me, Lord, but to you be the glory. That's because God is over it all. And then in, in verse 2, we skip to this idea that the nations, probably the, those are the Phoenicians, the Canaanites, maybe the Philistines at the time, are judging those of Israel. They're saying, where is their God? In this time of oppression, in this time of, of difficulty, they're saying, where is their God? How many of us have been in a season of life where we've questioned, where is God right now? How many of us have some, done something similar in many of our situations of life? You said, God, where are you? God, why are you silent? That's what the nations are accusing our God of. But what I'm going to encourage you with here today right now is that God is sovereign. You may not know that he's in the works, but he's still in the works. This idea of mocking God is an example of pe- people thinking they are sovereign as the nations, that they deserve it. It's the opposite, the counteraction of verse 1 where the glory is given to God. They're seeking the glory for themselves and not for God. Isaiah 13, 39 speaks about uh, the oracles against the nation is what those chapters are called. And it's where God indicts. He brings a charge against very specific nations, Tyre, Sidon, Egypt, Philistia, all of these various nations. Says He says that all of you think you are sovereign and are above me. You are not. It was very natural that the heathen should say, where is God? Because they had no outward emblem, no visible image, no tangible token, whereas the heathen had many gods such as they were made of wood, stone, and so they asked, where is your God? They had these little idols that they could hold in their hands and cling to in their time of need, whereas our God is spirit. He's invisible, and we can't see him. The psalmist asked God to deliver his people so that he would be glorified among the nations, and the Gentiles would have no reason to think that God would forsake them. That's where he speaks of, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God does not need supervision. He is sovereign. He's the one above all. He runs everything as he, as he desires. First Chronicles 29, 11 through 12 says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. If that doesn't explicitly state out God's sovereignty, then truly I do not know what will. But this idea of God in the heavens is, is difficult, and we'll come back to that. So don't, don't freak out for a moment. Just step away from it for one second. And I want to focus on that last part of chapter, or verse, excuse me, verse 4. It's made with human hands. Think about this. We, the maker made us, and we're making something that disgraces him. How impactful that should be to us. It is, not, it, it is interesting to consider that our God made us in our hands. He made the hands that turn around and make idols of their own desire and on their own accord. In our context, we can be so quick to judge because, well, we don't craft physical idols. Maybe we do, but most of us probably do not. Our idols are most likely intangible. Well, A.W. Tozer does not leave us hanging. He says, an invisible and intangible idol of the heart or an idol of the mind is just as offensive to God as an idol of the hand. How powerful that is, that God is sovereign. He made us. How much more are we to glorify him with our hands that he made? Skipping down, we're going to read uh, into verse 5 through, or verse 5. They have mouths but do not speak. We're going to dwell on that just for a moment. That one little section. They have, 
They have mouths but do not speak. Think of all the times in the Bible that God has spoken to us. He speaks through the prophets, which is well known through Isaiah and many of the prophets. You'll see something to that, that likeness. Think of Exodus chapter 3. God is speaking at the burning bush. It is his name that is resounding to all those around him. But think more importantly, as, as I lead into the next part of God's covenant, God's covenant relationship with every single one of us in the new covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12, reiterated in Genesis 15. He made a covenant with David in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, and those covenants are seen. We just uh, went through the Christmas season where you see the verse, uh, he's from the line of David in Isaiah, and that's reiterated in Matthew where he says that Joseph is from the line of David. God speaks something, and what he speaks is true. Therefore, God is for us. He is faithful forevermore. The third point is where I'm going to dwell a little bit more time. God is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of it, more worthy than any of these idols. Picking up at the the tail end of of, uh, verse 5, they have eyes but do not see, they have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. What an interesting thought to think of that, because if you want to follow Jesus, because he's He's give you a better life, that too is idolatry. Follow Jesus for the sake of Christ, for he is worthy, Paul Washer once said. Look quickly back to verse 1. Not unto us, but your name be the glory. Your name be the glory. This is a powerful sentence that seems to indicate a very serious desire to renounce any glory to self. Uh, one of the idols that I truly think in our generation, in our Western world, is is plaguing us the most, is, is the idol of self, the idol of pride and power combined. But the, here we're saying that God is worthy of the praise. We're not worthy of the praise. Neither is anything else that we've made or he has made. God alone is worthy. Look at a few sections, that, a few uh, tangible senses that he lays out, the psalmist lays out. Vision. Look at Proverbs 15.3. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Look at Second Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Look back at that. The hearts are fully committed to him. Not just their hands, their hearts. And then finally, I want to look at Genesis 1, 4. Thinking back to the time of creation, it says, God saw that it was good. God saw That implies that he's looking, he sees us. And what a pity it is that we pity a blind man. And it is strange to worship a blind image in turn. We pity those who who cannot see for themselves, yet we often cannot see for ourselves as we are led blindly astray by these idols who cannot see us. We have a God who sees us and cares about us because he is faithful. Finally, there's a sense of smell, there's several verses, but I'm going to look at three here. Genesis 8:21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of the humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. I'm also going to look at Ephesians 5, 2. And walk in the way of hope, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Leviticus also frequently speaks of a a beautiful aroma, a wonderful aroma rising to God through our sacrifices. What Our life in Romans 12 is called to be a sacrifice for him. How much better should that aroma be when it rises to him? And the last sense is hearing. What a beautiful gift it is that God is worthy because he sees us. He hears our worship and, and it lifts up to him in the heavens. 
God hears us when we pray. John 5, 14 through 15 speaks of this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know what we have, what we've asked for of him. What a beautiful idea that God is worthy of our praise, more worthy than any of these idols that we've crafted in our own lives. The fourth point I'm going to make is God is present and God is powerful. Reading uh, Psalm 117, verse 7. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, they, and they do not make a sound in their throat. We're going to look at 1 Kings 8.13, which says, I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. Our feet get tired. Uh, I went on a hike a few weeks ago, a couple miles, and, and I got back to my feet where they were hurting. So I sat down for a while. I had a place to rest. This idea of God dwelling amongst us goes all the way back to the Old Testament when the Israelites are wandering and they built a tabernacle for God to dwell with them. That, too, is what God does with us through the Spirit in this new covenant. This idea of dwelling, of of housing, of habitation, of living amongst one another. God is with us. Uh, last week, he went through through uh, this, the topic of Emmanuel, God with us. So how, how beautiful for that to tie in, that God is still with us. Even after the Christmas season, he is still with us in this new year. We're also going to look at that God is powerful. Uh, they have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk in this part. They do not make a sound in their throat. God's voice is powerful. Think to Isaiah 6 when Isaiah is called to be the prophet and he, he cowers in the presence of God. God's power is too much to handle. The transfiguration is seen again later in Luke. Uh, the burning bush even st- uh, startles Moses as he stands on that mountainside. Genesis 5, 8 says this. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now that speaks of, of God's presence. He's walking amongst them. He has feet and he can walk unlike these idols. But also the power of God. That he's able to come down and dwell amongst us and live with us if he chooses. The final point on power is going to be Acts 11.21. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. We spoke about the hand of the Lord previously and, and how their hands, they have hands but do not feel. The Lord's hands are in the midst of all of our lives right now. And the power that's revealed in this verse is that people believed and turned to the Lord. That alone is an act that the Lord can, can work through us. Uh, we by ourselves will never turn to the Lord in our own will, on our own accord, God must do something supernatural in us to stir that and to cause us to go in his direction. Finally, we're going to look at what the application aspect of all of this. The so what, as some people would call it. Trust in the Lord. Figure out what that one idol in our lives is right now that God is challenging us to remove, to spend more time with him. To remove and recognize God's sovereignty. To remove and recognize God's faithfulness and his worthiness. We're going to breeze through these last verses, verses 8 through 18. I won't read them all, so don't worry, but we are going to breeze through them. We're going to look at Jeremiah 2.5. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find me? That they strayed so far from me, they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. We're going to look at verse 8. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. 
That idea of trust, that last phrase right there is going to set up the rest of this chapter where we're called and encouraged to trust in the Lord alone in this new year. Think of, of this verse I just read, Jeremiah 2, 5, where it says their ancestors fall back into idolatry frequently. And that is what the indictment is coming against them, that Israel falls into, into idolatry and they're praying, Lord, don't let us, Lord, don't let us fall into idolatry. Not of us be the glory, but to you be the glory. May that be our prayer in this new year. And it is interesting to note that in this, this section, as I, as I head on to verse 9 through 18, that these idols are never once called dead. Never once does the psalmist say that these idols are dead. He describes them. They, they have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, things that are, are lifeless. But he never goes so far as to call them dead. And that is because these idols were never once alive. But our God, as I said, is faithful, is worthy, and is present. He is alive. He is God with us still in this time. And as we go through the next uh, several verses, we look at a few things. We're gonna, I'm going to call them recognize and react as the application here. The Lord is, is frequently called our help and our shield in these final verses here today. And so I'm going to point you on your own time to read Psalm 3 and Psalm 8 where God is frequently called our shield, our protection, our protection from anything coming against us. And God is our help. He is our reinforcement. And for more on that, look to Psalm 124. Our challenge today is to plead for trust. Knowing the folly of idolatry should renew our trust in the true God and compel us to look to him as our help and our shield. In this, we have something of Peter's heart when he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life in John 6, 68. We are to trust the singer's exhortation, repeat, not to us, not to us, but to him. Trust in him for all of our works, all of our ways. And then we are to recognize. So that, or that is to recognize that God is the only one who can help us through this. And then there's a reaction. And in the later verses, it says that we are called to fear. Verse 11, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord, for he is their help and their shield. This is the third group. We looked at the Israelites who've fallen into idolatry, the other nations who have fallen into idolatry. And now we're looking at this third group, the God-fearers, an, an attribute frequently attributed to those Christians in the New Testament church, such as Acts 10, 1 through 2. Uh, and then Proverbs 1, 7 specifically says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord. Now, this is not a trembling fear such as uh, surrounding the Halloween time, perhaps. It is more accurately a fear that is derived from reverence and respect. A frequent interview question, is it better to be feared or respected? My answer to that has always been, and I thought I was witty by saying this, I would, I would rather be so respected that my employees fear or are afraid to let me down. Now, that's what the Lord seeks of us. It is not a trembling fear. It's a, it's a virtual respect and a reverence. And I must address something here. Verses 12 through 15 speak of a blessing that will come if you flee from idolatry, as many would interpret it. Now, I'm not going to suggest that if you flee from idolatry or take the idols out of your life, that God will immediately bless you in turn. Instead, all I'm going to say is that the Lord loves you and the Lord cares for you. He will never give you more than you can handle, but he will give you exactly what you need. And that is the greatest blessing, which comes through much. And with this idea of fleeing from idolatry come two final aspects. It's a voluntary act. The heart of resolutions and even the heart of idolatry can sometimes be a good thing. But when a good thing turns into a God thing, 
it becomes a bad thing. So it is a voluntary act to examine ourselves, which we'll be challenged to do here at the Lord's Supper time, to look inward on ourselves or search ourselves, as the psalmist will say elsewhere, and to acknowledge that there is something taking the place of God in our lives and to ask God, take this away from me. It's a voluntary act to do this. And it also comes with an action of rejection. Reject the idols. First John 5, 12, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. First uh, Corinthians 8 and First Corinthians 12 will speak about fleeing from idols and the necessity to stay away from idols as well. And overall, in my closing, it is my prayer that today's sermon has vindicated God's glory, his sovereignty, his faithfulness, his trustworthiness, and his presence. And his name, by contrasting the vanity of the idols and the folly of the idol worshipers with the trust of God's people and the magnificence of God. To truly turn to the Lord means that we keep ourselves from trusting, obeying, and following anyone or anything other than the one true God. So what is this resolution God is calling us as Christians to make this new year? Maybe some of you, it is a call back to God. Maybe it is a decision to abandon your idols and trust in him, just as Israel is called to do repeatedly throughout their history. Maybe it is to leave something behind, to take down the worthless idols in our lives, to take something out of our lives rather than trying to put something new in, as is constantly the rate of these New Year's resolutions. For some of us here today, there's a sense that you have never taken the idols out of your life, and he is calling you to do just that today, to tear down these idols, to put Christ as the priority of your life for the very first time.